0: Good morning. Um, God just during worship kind of changed what I was going to talk about. (laughs) So maybe I should pray just a few minutes before we get started. Father God, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for giving those songs to whoever chose them because I really believe that you chose them and my heart needed them this morning. And, um, I fought sharing a specific scripture today because I feel like I share it a lot, and and I, I my pride said um, they're going to think that's the only scripture you know in the Bible. But the songs this morning just echoed what you were telling me even yesterday that I should share, and so I just pray that whatever you want to come out of my mouth would come out, and that the people that are here would um, believe it for themselves and for others, and they would know that you want to use them um, to break change in the lives of others. I just thank you for the privilege to know you, to be your child, and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, do you ever look back at your life and, and you think, oh, that, that's what that was about? Leslie kind of told a little bit of that story where we would walk, and we would share our heart's desires. Um, God was making Leslie a worship leader during those years of walking around that track, too, and I think he did a pretty good job. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Um, During that time um, in my life, I I read a book called The Journey of Desire by John Eldridge, and he's changed the title now to just desire. And it's an awesome book. If you're feeling kind of stuck and you don't know what's next in life, like you feel like God's given you these dreams or these desires to be a part of something or do something. And you're not really sure what that's all about. This book is amazing because it takes you through and it shows you that God gives you Um, these desires that are also his desires. And so what my husband desires for his life may be completely different than what the desires are that God's given me, but it needs to be that way because in order to meet the needs of the people in the world that we live in, he needs all of us to kind of grab onto that. And so there was a, a journal That went with this book. And we had to go back and look at your life and begin to ask God, what are the things that stand out to you? What are the things that have always been like a common theme in your life? And one of those exercises was to go back and look at your childhood toys or things that you had kept over the years. And I was in big, big trouble because my mom grew up in a children's home. And she never got to keep anything. And she's also a neat freak. So she didn't hold on to anything when I was little. I had no toys, like nothing. Um, and she had given me a hope chest, and it had some stuff in it. And and so I had just kind of taken after her. Like I, David has photo albums from like every year of growing up, and I have like a couple of pictures in a box, and that's it. I mean, I really have nothing. And so I was a little, sh- you know, a little bothered. Like I don't know what to do, God. And so I opened this hope chest, and I started looking through the things that I had kept, which were not very many. And at this time, God was really breaking my heart for kids around the world, um, mainly kids who were orphaned or abandoned because we were in the process of actually um, adopting. But anyway, in that hope chest was this little book, and I remembered it very clearly. I was in the fourth grade, and I went to Lindley Park Baptist Church in Greensboro on maybe that's Holden Road. I don't know. And um, my family lived in this little trailer park, and, and we somehow got connected at this church. And I loved to go on Wednesday night because this Baptist church had this program called GAs, which was Girls in Action. And I guess I never realized what Girls in Action was all about. I just loved it, and I loved going on Wednesday night. But Girls in Action was about missions. So you learned about different countries and foods and kids around the world and... Um, you took up offerings. They had this thing called the Lottie Moon offering. I didn't know until years later that Lottie Moon was actually a person. Like, I didn't know what it was. I just wanted to give, you know? And um, that summer, the economy was really bad, and my dad moved to Texas to take a job. And he had been there all school year, and that summer, he flew home, packed up our station wagon, and moved us to Texas for the summer. And it was a lonely summer. We didn't know anybody. It was like 155 degrees and 200% humidity, and the mosquitoes were as big as your fist. And um, I got a care package from the GAs at my church. And it was this little gift book. And it says, God is everywhere. But the really interesting thing about this book all the little girls on the inside, it says, with love to Lisa Best from the primary department, uh, Lindley Park. But on the inside, all these little girls had signed their name. They were from my GA class. Like, why did I hold on to this book? You know, I don't, how did it make it back from Texas when we moved back? How did it make it into my hope chest? But in 2000. 1 to 2003, when I was really asking God, what do you want to make of my life? You know, what do you want me to do? I found myself on my knees in my closet going through my hope chest, and I found this book. And I, I don't think you can see it, but I'll show it to you later. It says, God is everywhere, discovering God's love in the world. And there are these little kids, and it looks like they're from all the different nations, and they're holding hands, and it goes from the front and the back of the book. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me that day, and he said, Lisa, I gave you that desire to want to learn about the nations. I gave you that desire to want to help kids in another country. I gave you that desire way, way back then when you were in the fourth grade because I have something that I want you to do. Um, in 2001, David and I were attending Shady Grove Wesleyan, and we went on a mission trip to... Um, Guatemala, and it was our first time there. I think there's a photo, maybe photo A, of um, Delmi teaching outside at that, that um, vacation Bible school that we did, and there was something very special about this woman. She was the same age as my mother, We connected right away, even though we didn't speak the same language. And David and I got very close to she and her husband, Carlos. And you guys have met them. They've been here. They're amazing people. They were pastoring a church in Guatemala City. He was the national superintendent for all the Wesleyan churches in Guatemala. And um, we just connected on such a deep level. And at the same time, God was calling us to adoption. And he showed us that we should adopt from Guatemala. And so while we were waiting... um, for Caroline to come home, we felt God calling us to start Caroline's Promise. And uh, I read a scripture, I'm going to share it with you this morning, it's from Deuteronomy 24, and it talks about taking care of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Um, And so this was kind of a law, and God was reminding um, Israel you know, the Israelites, of where they had come from and what he wanted them to do. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of your widow as a pledge. And this is verse 18 in chapter 24. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. And that is why I command you to do this. It's really important that he was reminding them of where they had come from. Don't we kind of forget sometimes where we came from? I think sometimes we sit around and we judge other people, and we think, when we stop and think, we did the same things. You know, What we're, this morning we sang about God breaking chains and, and us remembering the chains and, and praising him for that. And this is what he commanded them to do. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, don't go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, don't go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and this is what I command you to do. God had a plan for three groups of people, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. They were the helpless in, in the world then, and they're the helpless in the world today. The, the aliens, the strangers, the foreigners, the fatherless, and that includes the kid that's in your community that doesn't have a dad, and the widow, that might be sitting next to you in church or you see her in the grocery store parking lot. And God had a plan for them. And so he told his people, don't, like, keep everything for yourself. And I think, don't we sometimes do that? Don't we kind of fear? We either want to keep everything for ourselves because we have this unhealthy desire for more and more and more, or we keep everything for ourselves because we're fearful. What if I lose my job? What if the gas prices go up? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And so we hold on a lot of times, either out of our greed or our fear. And God said, don't do that. It's our responsibility. Remember where you came from, that you were slaves, and then help these people. This is what I want you to do. Psalm 82.3, I read, says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. So during this time, God was teaching me all of this. And then Caroline was born. And guess who was there when Caroline was born? Um, Delmi and Carlos came to visit us at the hotel, prayed a blessing over Caroline. This was a little over um, 12 years ago. And at that time, um, there was an organization called World Hope, and they were doing a child sponsorship program in Carlos and Delmi's church. And Delmi said, um, I I said, well, we'd like to sponsor a child. And she said, well, I want to pick the child for you. And I said, okay, that's fine. You pick the child for me. And um, he really was her favorite child. His name was Daniel, and he was super smart. He still is super smart. And uh, David and I began um, sponsoring Daniel. He was the same age as our son, Kendall. And when we would go to Guatemala and do different work tell me whether we were working with her or we would not she would always she and Carlos would get Daniel and then later Melanie who we began to sponsor as well and she would bring them to the hotel to hang out with us and um, Melanie was the same age as our middle child Cameron and and we have just we've sponsored them ever since Um, and it's been amazing to see how $32 and now $35 a month for all these years, has provided them an opportunity to, number one, eat, which is super important, to go to a really good school and to know about Jesus. Um... Carlos and Delmi understood the importance of child sponsorship. So even when we were developing Caroline's Promise and we were working with other ministries and not working directly with Carlos and Delmi, they understood the importance of the relationship that we had with Daniel and Melanie, and they always made a point to bring them to us. Um, in 2009, we'd been serving with an orphanage in Guatemala, and Delmi asked us if we would spend a week at their church. She said, could you just bring a team for one week? They had lost some of their support and some of their teams, and, and we loved them. Dave and I talked about it. We said, okay, we'll spend a week there. Um, God was kind of closing the door on working in the orphanage, and so we were just kind of open to whatever it was that he had. When we got there, um, we saw that Delmi had started the school called Casita of nine, there were about 40 kids. The school was kind of failing, because the parents were so poor, they couldn't have a very high tuition, and a lot of the parents weren't paying the tuition, so then there was no money to pay the teachers, and the, the school was really tanking. Um, it's in a community called Nimahayu, and this is still where we serve. It's... Um, it's not rural at all. It's inner city. And think housing project here. There are these concrete apartments and, you know, I don't know, sometimes 10, 15, 20 people living in one two-bedroom apartment. Really expensive. Lots of gang activity. Um, poverty. Um, in Guatemala, um, right now, it's a really cool thing. There's almost 100% rate of kids elementary age going to school. It's pretty awesome. Um, but only three-fourths of them graduate from the sixth grade. Can you imagine only three-fourths of our kids graduating from sixth grade here? And enrollment rate for middle school grades, which is seventh through ninth, is only 40%. So you got a lot of 12-, 13-, 14-year-old kids just out on the street no education. They're not continuing their education. They have no skills. And so then that just creates more, more poverty. And in this community, um, of course, those kids are the ones that are attracted to the gangs because it's easy, quick money. Um, if you happen to go to our blog, you can read a story. It's a couple of stories back. About three weeks ago, one of our kids, one of our 15-year-olds, was murdered because of gang activity. Um, not in school. Um, no father just one of them that kind of slipped through the cracks and um, is now no longer with us. That's the reality of this community, Nima Hayu. Guatemala has the highest rate of child malnutrition in the whole world, Um, worse than Haiti. We typically think that Haiti would probably be the worst, but malnutrition in Guatemala is worse than in Haiti. Um, 50% of children under five suffer suffer from chronic malnutrition, and half of Guatemala's... um, People live in extreme poverty or on less than two dollars a day. And you think, well, that's not so bad because it's probably not that expensive there. But for the most part, everything there is more expensive than it is here. So when you think about living on two dollars a day, that kind of gives you the idea of the community that Carlos and Delmi were working in. As pastors, they really don't make very much money. And so they depend on support of other people to keep them going. But they're committed and have been committed for over 20 years to this community. And David and I have had had the joy of seeing this community and this church grow. Um, When we arrived in 2010, um, the sponsorship program that had been going on in their church pulled out, and so then they were really kind of desperate, and we thought, well, we could just keep sending money down, but that didn't seem like it would really help very much, didn't seem like it would keep the school doors open. the first group of kids at Casita, there were about 40 of them, and it went through the second grade. Now there are about 155 kids, and it goes through the sixth grade. And that's because God gave us this idea to do child sponsorship where the money would go toward tuition. So a lot of child sponsorship programs, and in one of our communities, it is like this. The kids get food, and their family gets food, and that's great. But here at Casita, at the school, the money goes toward tuition. So parents pay part. sponsor pays part. The teachers were getting paid. The kids were going to school, and now the school is self-sustaining, and there are about 150, 160 kids um, there now. Tom asked me to share what we've seen through the child sponsorship program, and at Casita, I've probably seen the most because we've been working there the longest, about four or five years. Um, We've seen kids grow spiritually. My kids, Daniel and Melanie, We've seen them become leaders in their community and in their church. Uh, There's not a Sunday that goes by when I'm there that I don't see one of them helping with kids. Melanie loves working in the nursery, and Daniel loves leading worship, and he loves working with boys. I was telling Patty Kidder this morning, when Daniel was little, like maybe eight or nine, they had a contest to see which kid could memorize the most scripture. I don't like those contests because I have a kid who could have won it and I have a kid who never would have attempted it. But that's what they do in Guatemala. And Daniel won and he memorized the whole book of Acts. He was eight or nine, I can't remember. And he won a bike, which was a really, really, really cool thing. A couple of years ago, we went to the new community that we're working in in Harona, and Delmi said, I want to do a scripture memorization contest. And I was like, oh, Lord, no, not again, you know, because I knew the brightest kid would probably win, and the kid who struggles to, to read or to memorize wouldn't even attempt it. But she wanted to do it, so we did it. And she said, I want you to present the bike to this girl. And I said, I don't want to present the bike to the girl. Let Daniel present the bike to the girl. And so my kid that I've sponsored since he was, you know, five years old, stood there and presented a bicycle to a little girl in Herona who memorized, you know, a whole book of the Bible. That's what child sponsorship does. It creates um, young men who know that they have value and worth. Daniel's not the 15-year-old who's seeking attention and love and resources from the gang. He doesn't have to. He knows his heavenly father loves him and has a plan for him. He's fed. He's educated. He's clothed. He knows that we're here and we love him and support him. And our support allows his family, his mom, to support him as well. And it gives her dignity. And it helps her be a better mom. Um, we've seen education just increase. What happens in Guatemala is if you don't go to one of these private schools, you go to a public school where there could be a 100 kids in one classroom with one teacher. It's, it's horrible. And so our young adults who go to public school in Guatemala, when they graduate, they can't even pass the entrance exam to get into the local university. That's really, really inexpensive to go to. So we've seen... Child sponsorship increase the level of education um, in this community. Um, God called us to a building. Um, they call it the building of promise because they know that when people come to this building, they'll understand God's promises and the promise that He has for their lives. And so we've seen the building go from this like tin roof like really hot. I can't even describe it. I, c- I couldn't even find a picture to really tell you how bad it was. You just had to have been there. In fact, some of our, um, one of my kids said to me this past summer, wow, this building looks so great. People have no clue, if do they? you know, because if you weren't there five years ago, you don't really know what all God has done. It's a, it's amazing. Um, and we've seen the, the numbers of kids grow. We've seen the families grow. We've seen the moms learn skills. And this week we'll be doing business training with 24 mamas who want to start their own businesses. They don't want to rely on child sponsorship. In fact, this Year we've had two kids' parents say we don't need the child sponsorship anymore. We want you to give it to someone else. Really, you're not going to take the handout every quarter when we give it to you? Um, they have enough dignity and they've been able to get jobs of their own, and now they're saying, "No, I want you to use that support for someone else." And we've seen the community and we've seen the church grow um, as what happens in a lot of churches, God doesn't just stop with your community. And so Delmi and Carlos were asked to go into another community of Herona. And that's the community that Patty and Tom have really prayed about and have um, decided that they want your church to focus on. And it's a community called Herona. And it's a lot different. It's very rural. The people live in houses made out of tin, dirt floors, sometimes no running water, definitely no indoor plumbing, um, a lot of lice in those houses. I just put my hair back in a ponytail and just pray before I go in. Um, because it's, it's, it's pretty rough. Most of the kids eat one tortilla a day. And so this week, as you're eating like people in another part of the world, you could pretend that you were a kid from Hirona and you could just eat one tortilla with maybe a little bit of salt sprinkled on it. That's what our kids have. And then they got to go to school and learn. I can't imagine. Um, sponsorship in this community provides foods for these kids and our table um, back there has some pictures of some kids that are all from the same family and when we first met them they were eating one tortilla a day but they are all sponsored now and every three months the sponsorship money allows them to have big bags of beans and flour and salt and oil and they get eggs and they get cereal and milk and all kinds of stuff and um, those kids are eating and the difference in them is amazing. Every time I go back, I can't believe how happy they are and how much healthier they are. It really, really works. And then the church is able to minister to their spiritual needs. So we've seen spiritual growth. We've seen women's ministry start in this community. We've seen a youth group start in this community, all in like three years. It's pretty amazing. There are about 250 kids that come every Sunday afternoon for church. And now there's a women's study, And a youth study, and this summer we hope to start a men's group as well. There's so many other things that are going on, and and I I wasn't gonna share this scripture, but but the Lord kind of made it clear that I was supposed to. Um, several years ago he gave me this chapter in Isaiah, it's Isaiah 61, and he said, This is this is my heart for the people in Guatemala that you're gonna work with. And this morning we sang every song had something to do with the scripture. So it's Isaiah 61, and it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What I love about the scripture is Isaiah was prophesying about the Messiah, Jesus, who was to come. And then later on in the New Testament, when Jesus chose a scripture that was going to kind of be his theme for his ministry, it was this scripture the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken the sadness in these communities when I first went. You don't think about that. You know, you don't you don't think about you you don't think about it when you're in it. You're just kinda overwhelmed. I don't see that now. I mean I, I do sometimes. But the joy that I see on people's faces, the dignity that I see, the health—not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually—the relationships and the community between the people. For instance, in, in the school, the women used to never talk to each other. They would line up outside of the school. It was kind of like the car rider line at, at your your kids' school. Nobody gets out and talks to each other, right? You know, they just all sit in their cars. It was like that. They would line up, and nobody would talk to anybody. It was the craziest thing such um uh fear and jealousy and feeling inadequate and we started the sewing program and women started working together and now I see that a lady's broken her hip and the women from her sewing class the mamas from her sewing class are taking her meals and are helping get her kids to in school that's community I see that mamas are volunteering in the school. They never had volunteers in the school, and now they have an award every graduation for the mama of the class, like the class mom. You know, that's community. That's women realizing, I'm a child of God, you know, and he's called me, he loves me, and he's called me to love these other women, and now you can't get them to shut up because they're talking to each other all the time. It's the most beautiful thing, but I never thought to video all of that in the beginning. I think it would be, I have those memories, but I think it would be pretty powerful to see the difference. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God promises that he will break our chains and he will give us all of that that Isaiah prophesied in 61. But he promises it for our neighbors here and our neighbors in Guatemala and our neighbors in Thailand and Africa. And so this morning, I just, I guess I just really want you to know that $35 a month makes a difference. Um, my family ate out Friday night for my mom's birthday and there are five of us. One got a hamburger, three got chicken fillies, and I just ate a baked potato because I wasn't feeling really well. Um, and we did drink water, um, but it was $35 before the tip, and that was just one meal. And, um, my son, who's 17, uh, was looking at his bank account and wondering where all of his money went. And he, he was really convinced that Wells Fargo was taking some money out of his account and putting it somewhere else because he had this amount and now he has this amount. And I said, Well, go back and look at all the charges McDonald's, Starbucks, 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 Starbucks. And if you added, it doesn't look like a lot, it's a $5 charge at Starbucks. But when you add it up, it's a lot. And so I know, I know that we have fear financially. And I know, I know about that. But I just encourage you to just ask God, just ask him, what do you want me to do? What about the alien and the stranger? What about the foreigner that I run into at the grocery store that doesn't speak my language? What about the fatherless? What about that single mom? Can I help her somehow? Can I mentor her son? And what about the orphan and the abandoned? Um, Tom asked me how sponsorship worked, and I have this great video from my friend Caitlin. I just adore her. She's been with us from the very beginning, and um, I want you to see this because she's been a sponsor. She sponsors two kids, and she's also seen it from the beginning where we started and and, uh, I want you to hear her story. I know the little girl she's talking about. Her name's Melanie, and Melanie's father was um, was murdered uh, in gang-related activity when she was probably five or six years old. And Melanie has received a lot of healing um, emotionally and spiritually through the church. Um, her mom is a single mom with. Um, two boys, and then Melanie, and um, they've been in and out of the gangs, and praise God, they've been out for the last couple of years, and are really growing, and are, and are strong. Um, I was there at that camp when she's talking about Melanie filling a heart to pray for the girl that was crying, because I was the girl crying on the steps, Um, I had been in Guatemala two weeks and I was on my third week and I had gotten a frantic text from my then 16 year old who was going through something very difficult. And he said, mom, can you just call me? And so I was on the steps, um, listening to him and praying with him and crying because as a mama, I really wanted to be here. I wanted to be there, but I wanted to be here too. And, um, Melanie walked by me, and she patted me on the back, and she said, Miss Lisa, are you okay? And I said, I am, Melanie, thank you. And when I looked up, she saw me crying. She went right upstairs and went to Caitlin and said, can we pray for Miss Lisa? That's how I know child sponsorship works, because I've been on the receiving end of a child who has a sponsor in Asheville, North Carolina, who has given to her most of her life, And now Melanie is becoming the strong leader and is praying for me. That's how I know child sponsorship works. Thanks for being here today, and thanks for considering it.